Welcome to the Extraordinary Educators Podcast. Your hosts, Danielle Sullivan, National Director at Curriculum Associates, and Sari Liberis, Senior Manager, Marketing Operations at Curriculum Associates, are here to share actionable tips, best practices, and success stories to improve your teaching and drive student learning. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. This is Danielle. Hey, everyone. It's Sari, and welcome back to the Extraordinary Educators Podcast. We know there's a lot happening right now, and we hope we can provide you with insights, tips and best practices, and breathing room from the critical work you do. We are here to support teaching and learning wherever it is taking place. And with us today, we are very excited to have a special guest, our wonderful colleague, Condra James. Welcome, Condra. We are so glad you're here. Um, If you don't mind just introducing yourself to our listeners, telling us um, a little bit about yourself. Good morning. Thank you so much, Sari and Danielle, for inviting me to speak uh, on the podcast. I am, as I said, one of uh, your colleagues, and specifically, I focus on literacy. That is my um, passion, my goal, everything that I think about. It's about literacy, because the number one thing that I love about literacy is that it is the key to unlocking content. It's the key to learning everything. So that's where my heart lies. Well, that is a great jumping off point, Ms. Condra James, because I wanted you to talk about what are you currently working on or thinking about in that realm? So my focus this year is grade level reading. I want us to really work towards getting our students to grade level reading. And when I say grade level reading, I mean, I think most people know that I mean at grade level, the content, the text that is the age, grade, range, maturity level, the level that students are thinking, that's where I want them reading. I know our kids can think at grade level. They think at grade level and beyond, but often our kids are not able to actually maneuver the waters of the text on the page. And that's one of my goals this year. And I see it as a two-pronged goal. One is the immersion of students in grade level text. You can't get me on grade level if I never see grade level text. So that's one of my goals. How can we get our kids immersed in that water of grade level text? And then my other goal is the engine that's running under grade level. What's that engine? That engine is the content that I'm missing that's keeping me from being on grade level. It's almost like teachers have to uh, do two things. They have to teach grade level content and they have to teach the the missing content. And oftentimes with our older readers, our kids who are third grade on up, the missing content tends to be foundational skills. So that's my other passion, working on getting my older student the content that they missed from the K2 realm, those foundational skills. So those are two things that I'm working on the most right now. That's amazing. It makes makes total sense. I think, I think that would be like every teacher's dream, right? I'm curious, like say, say I'm a teacher, then this, this was me, like a third grade teacher. I have a student, we we use the step assessment. So say they take step, font, and some I already diagnostic, whatever it is. And there's student tests on a kindergarten reading level. And they say, oh, my, you know, my student, um, you know, might not know all their, they can't send out words yet. Or they might not know their sight words, whatnot. Um, but obviously in my heart, I want to expose my, my student to, to grade level content. Like, where do I begin? Because I, I know I don't want to spend all my time filling the gaps and remediating because I want my student not only to be familiar with content to see on the state test, but just generally speaking, I want them to be prepared for fourth grade and, and get get the content they deserve. But like, 
how do I begin that balancing act of teaching them the skills while also exploring degree level content and, and all of those things? Well, you know, that is a huge question, <laughs> but it's, but it's a very worthy question. I'm going to unpack it okay, starting sure. with the, here's the interesting thing in my, in my mind, the first step is not academic. The first step is management. I have to teach both trains, both engines have to be running the grade level engine and the off con off grade level engine. They both have to be running simultaneously. I can't do that with 25 people in a room unless I am organized and managed. So the first thing I always say to teachers is prepare your physical space as well as your mental space for the reality that I will have to do small group instruction. I must do small group instruction. You know, one thing, I mean, I know our listeners are could be myriad of resource users, but one thing that I always tell people about iReady, the diagnostic data tells you who your groups are. So that makes life easier. I don't have to figure out the who or the what. I need to figure out physically, mentally, how do I manage these spaces? How do I physically have these zones of instruction in my room? I have a zone that's my grade level zone. And then physically, I'm separating myself to do off grade level work at different levels with different children at different times of the day. So my first answer to your question is that you have to be managed and organized. And the second answer to my question is you have to be clear about what you're doing in those small groups that's feeding into grade level. That balance is all about making sure that I am intentional and specific with the off grade level content that supports the on-grade level content. We don't have a lot of time. I mean, time is not our friend in the world. Time keeps moving. It doesn't stand still for us. We can't say, can you wait a minute, time? It doesn't work like that. So the best thing to do is make sure that I'm organized, make sure that I know exactly what needs to be done in that small group and my whole group or my grade, I call it whole group because I mean all my kids in that room get the same grade level instruction. But in those small groups, I have to be clear and intentional that what I'm doing directly feeds into what's going to help them do better in grade level content. And my third answer to that is that it is very important that every student have a grade level book in front of them for large parts of the day. The grade level science book, the grade level reading book, the grade level math book, and the other. Now, I, now here's what teachers say, but they can't read the book. They can't read the book. I know that. I know that. That's the struggle. That's why your small group has to keep going. But at the same time, they must have that book in front of them. They must have, and there's an, actually a study from a from a professor at University of Kentucky that talks about the benefit of having off grade level readers actually see and hear grade level text and track that print. It's important that they hear the teacher or their peers reading the text and they're tracking the print physically, take a index card or their finger or their pencil and actually track the print as they hear their peers or the teacher read that print. Because here's what we know, that third grader, that fourth grader, that nine or 10 year, year old child, they may be reading below grade level, but they don't think below grade level. Lower level readers are not lower level thinkers. They think at their age, grade, maturity range, and sometimes even higher. So I have to honor that. I have to respect 
that they can think and comprehend at a higher level than they can physically say what's on the page. So that study from that professor talks about the benefit of when an older reader hears what he understands and connects it to the graphemes and the phonemes represented by those graphemes on the page. Okay, I know it was a long answer, but that's what I'm doing. I'm spending all my time reading this stuff. So it just spills out of me. <laughs> and I love it so much. So what do you tell the teacher that still says, but they can't? How do you get them to say, okay, well, they can? I say, and I have to always be very tactful. I say, well, they can't yet. But if we, because we're the adults in the room, children do what we ask them to do. When they are struggling, it's not their fault. We're the adults. We're leading them. So then if they can't, what are we going to do to turn that can't into a can? They can't because we have not. It's not about the child. It's never the child's fault. They are children. If they're not, they must. I always go back to, you know, what is the, how can we turn that can't into a can? How can we stop with the deficit-based language? Because the more we say that they can't, the more they won't. They can't because we have not. So the question is, okay, so what are we going to do? They can't, what are we going to do? What data are we going to access to tell them what needs to be taught? What content are we going to access that matches that data to meet the need of what needs to be taught? That's I say. Sometimes they, people don't want to hear that, but that's what I say. <laughs> I, no, I think that's super powerful because because we don't know what we don't know, right? So just because that might just be what we've always done, that might that's not necessarily the best thing for our students. And I think something right. you said earlier that's just worth saying again is that the whole the whole um, thinking around that just because a student can't read something doesn't mean they can't think at that at that level is so and so important because I think a lot of times you just jump to the conclusion, well, I can't discuss that with them yet, or they're not ready to, but how do you know? Have you tried? <laughs> right? Or, exactly. you know, just, just give it a chance. And I think getting educators to understand and just take that, that leap of faith um, is so, so important, especially when it comes to, you know, just having equitable classrooms. I agree. I agree. An educator mindset. And I love how you were sharing that you are the adult in the room. Children are children. That is absolutely true. So I want to dig into something that you did write about in your pro paper around flexible grouping. I think that's something that, uh, um, so you were talking about the importance of small group instruction and management, which I love that you started there. Cause I think, especially now in the back to school season, that is what educators are just trying to figure out how are they going to just manage it all with the COVID restrictions, with masks, all of it. And especially then I'd love to, uh, second part, how do we think about masks with teaching the phonetic skills to any tips for educators there? But the first question, so my question is a two-part question. Can you talk about flexible grouping? And then maybe your thoughts on um, any advice for educators that are working teaching reading and the, you said phonemes, when it's hard to see people's mouths too. So, you know, the flexible grouping thing is something that I have been talking about. So I've been doing educational consulting since 2001 in this kind of in this realm, companies like ours. And the flexible grouping thing is I used to actually do a whole workshop on this. It has nothing to do with the academics. It is one of those workshops that I had developed where I never talked about teaching. I never talked about product. 
I've talked about management and it literally is a mental way of physically apportioning your space in your head. Like I, I have to think about it in my head and I have to then actualize it in the classroom. You mentally and physically are developing a system, a rotation system. You're developing a time schedule. This is how much time I'm allocating to whole group instruction where everyone has grade level content in front of them. And then this is how much time I'm allocating to small group instruction, which means I have to have some kind of rotation system. I have to teach the children how to rotate as much as I have to teach myself how to rotate. You know, I taught kindergarten. There is no way you can work with, and I had 37 children my last year. There's no way you can work with 37 bodies in the room if everyone doesn't understand the little system. I used popsicle sticks in a, in a pocket chart and had their names on the popsicle stick and a name of the center that they were going to go to. And so they, and they figured it out. They learned things. Um, there was a time that was, I called it choice time. It, I'm doing little air quotes because I already chose what they were going to do, but I made them feel like they were choosing because they got to put the popsicle stick in the pocket chart somewhere. So but whatever your system is, you have to have a system. There must be a rotation, you know, within the con- the context of the resources that we have at our company, you know, the, the computer is a center. That's one of the times that I can see students rotating to do online instructional work. There's another center or station when they're older, we call them stations. There's another station where something independent is going on. There's another station where I have pairs, maybe it's six kids who are paired together and they're doing some kind of paired whisper read. That's a good place to, uh, in our program, we have a report that will pair your kids together based on their Lexile. That's a good opportunity for my struggling reader to be paired with a more astute reader and they whisper read together and track that print. All those things are happening while I'm with a small group working on data-driven, specific, intentional content that, and all of these things that are happening in these centers feed into grade level content. So it has nothing to do with academics. It's really all about management. And it's one of those things, you know, we don't really talk about it here at our company. And it leaves me a little baffled because you have to talk about it. The resource is just that, a resource. It only comes to life and it's only effective if I have a system of management in place to make it happen. In the paper that you referenced, Danielle, I only gave that like one paragraph. Actually, I gave it four paragraphs and our editors took it down to one paragraph. There's so much that I have to say about that. You know, there's a book uh, if, if listeners want to check out this book, I mean, there's plenty of books on, on management and grouping, but there's one that I like in particular. It's really old. It's called, I think, Where Have All the Bluebirds Gone? And it talks about the idea of flexible grouping. I'm all about, you know, don't believe me, read it, go and do your own due diligence, read it in a book and make it work for you. So that's the thing about flexible grouping. And then your other question about the masks, you know, in my If I were still teaching, I probably would do that clear screen so that kids could see my mouth. But there are actually, um, I don't know who makes them, but they're actually cue cards that teachers can get that hold and hold up to show the position of the teeth, the tongue, the lips when I'm making certain sounds or making certain words. I know I know there's, I used to use them when I was teaching. There's a picture of a mouth when you're making uh, the TH sound, the sound. What are your teeth 
you know, well, this is a podcast. You can't see my teeth, but what what are your teeth doing? What is your tongue doing? Where are your lips? So when kids can't see the mouth, that would be one thing that I would uh, would recommend. And you can probably go online and Google um, phonetic mouth position. I think that's what it's called or something like that and see pictures of it. So that's one thing that if I was still in the classroom and knowing I would have to have a mask on, if I couldn't use the clear screen, that would be my next um, point of, of strategy of, of delivery. Well, thank you. That was so much great, amazing information, even from tactical, practical, some really great references. And we will make sure to link all of what Condra shared in the show notes. So the book, her pro paper, maybe some strategies um, that Condra referenced as well. And unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. So I would just love for you, Condra, thinking of educators in this crazy climate, is there any uh, advice just parting wisdom you would like to leave our listeners before we leave today? So, you know, everything, I I just got off another call with people and the young lady was saying how this year people are just really sad. You know, just everyone she talks with, people are really sad. And I understand that. But here's what I know. I know that everything is going to work out just fine. I believe that. That is the way that I lead my life. It will all work out. Everything we're going through is going to make us stronger to be even better. It is, it, it might feel bad and sad, but you know, if you're sitting and even have the ability to even listen to this podcast right now, things are going to work out and you're doing okay. So that's kind of the, you know, I know it's kind of like, man, you can say that you're doing fine. Mm, it's going to be fine. I believe that. I believe that everything's going to work out just fine. We just have to hold on, keep our due diligence and know that victory is ours. Thank you so much, Condra. Thank you for that parting wisdom and positivity and optimism. I think everyone could use a little bit of that right now. Um, So yeah, thank you again for for coming. And like Danielle said, we will link everything um, in the show notes. And as always, you can follow along on Twitter at Curriculum Asoch and on Instagram at MyIReady. And please be sure to tag us in your post so we can see the amazing work you do every single day. If you have feedback about the podcast, a topic of interest, or want to be a guest, you can email extraordinaryeducators at cainc.com. This is about you. We are here for you. So until next time, be you, be true, be extraordinary. This podcast is produced by Curriculum Associates and is the copyrighted material and intellectual property of Curriculum Associates.